Okay, we're going to start here on the top of Nundala Ramanav by the two dots. Gemara is going over the pieces of the Mishnah, trying to discuss what exactly is meant by each item in the Mishnah. We had already dealt with the Zicharim Yotzim Libuvim and the Rechelot Yotzot Shechuzot. The last thing that the Gemara had mentioned was that the Zicharim Yotzim Libuvim was a piece of skin that was put over their reproductive organ to prevent them from impregnating the females. And the Rechelot Yotzot Shechuzot was that the females went out exposed. Their tails were tied up in order to encourage them to become impregnated. Now the Gemara moves on to the next, which is Kvulot. Rechleim Yotzot Kvulot, my Kvulot, Shemechablim Aliyah Shela Lemata. That they tie down its tail of the female downwards. Now, mechubalim or kubalim, if you look in Rashi, is lashon kablei barzel, metallic rope. The word here, mechubalot, is probably from the same etymology as the word cable. They used cables, they used a string or rope or cable to hold down the tail of the female. In order that the males would not impregnate the female. How do you know that this lashon kabul is preventing impregnation, reproduction? Because dictiv, it says in Melachim Aleph, Mahe Arima Ele Asher Natatali Achi, Ikra Eretz Kabul Adayomaze. Shlomo Amelech gives to Hiram a number of cities up north, and then Hiram takes the cities and says, takes a look at them and says, What did you just give me? These not good quality cities, it's not good quality land, what'd you give me here? So they called the place Eretz Kabul Adayomaze. My Eretz Kabul. Why they call it Eretz Kabul? Because there were people there who were bound up in silver and gold. Something so good like that. What are you going to do with the rest of the Pasuk? It says, He wasn't pleased with the gift that Shlomo HaMelech had given him. He wasn't pleased with these cities. Why wouldn't he have been pleased with these cities if they were bound up in gold and silver? Sounds pretty good. It says, Since they were rich and finicky, spoiled, pampered, lo avde avito, they didn't go to work. And the problem with that, as Rashi points out, is no taxes. They don't work. They don't have any income. There's nothing to give to the king. So these people were rich, and it was a wonderful place for them. But in terms of the king gaining anything from it, there was no benefit to him. And that's why he called it Eretz Kabul, something they didn't produce. It wasn't a productive area. And even though the people there were wealthy, that was no benefit to the king. And that's why Lo Yashub it was a place of Chumton, as Rashi explains that the Chumton is salty, which means that it's not productive, it's not plantable land, and mitbakat is that it breaks up, that it has cracks in it, has areas where it's not stable to walk on. So why was it called Kabul? Because when you stepped in there, your leg or feet used to sink and down until the kabla. Rashi says that the kabla seems to be the ankle or the heel, according to Rashi. Tosafot quotes from the re that it was at the shop until the thigh, so it would probably be up to the knee. But your leg sank into the ground because it wasn't good ground. I don't know if it was quicksand or the mud, whatever it was that was there was not plantable and wasn't safe to walk on. Ramre Inche People, or the colloquialism that's used is that this is a land or ground that is mechabla that doesn't produce anything. So again, the word kabul, even though the terminology is probably from the word cable to tie up, it also has associations with not being non-productive. And the Gemara connects those two and says that they used to tie down the tail of the female in order that 
she would not become impregnated. And that's what the Kabbalot means over here. My Kivunot. Where is the Kivunot in the Mishnah? They used to cover them up in order to get this fine wool. Kednan. Se'et. Ketzeim Relevan. So this is a Mishnah in Shvot, a Mishnah in the Ga'im. As to what the color of the Se'et is. It's one of the Niga'im. That nega is Ketzeim Relevan. Like white wool. My Tzemer Lavan. When we talk about white wool, what is that referring to? I'm Rabbi Barabai, Ketzemer Naki Ben Yomo. It's like wool that's a day old. Shemachabdin Oto Milat. They save it and cover it for Milat. Obviously wool that's a day old from a day old animal is not very much wool. So what they used to do is when the animal was born, they used to cover it from that day, let the wool grow, and then only uncover it when they came to shear it. So that wool would stay soft and clean. And that's how they got this Milat. They got this very fine wool that was used to make bigadim. Itmar. So now we're moving on. Vayizim Yotzot Tzirurot. Itmar. Rav Amar. Alocha ki Rav Yehuda. Rav says Alocha is like Rav Yehuda in our Mishnah. Rav Yehuda in our Mishnah said, or made a distinction between Tzirurot Liyabesh and Tzirurot Lechalev. Made a difference whether you covered up the udders in order to dry them out, where he said it was permissible for them to go out, or you covered them in order to protect the milk, or for whatever reason you are covering them in terms of the milk. Gave a number of reasons before as to why you would do that. So Rav says, Aloha is like Rabbi Yehuda. Shmuel Amar, Aloha ki Rabbi Yossi. Aloha is like Rabbi Yossi in our Mishnah. Rabbi Yossi in our Mishnah said that everything in the Mishnah is a sur. Chutz HaMerechelim HaKivunot. The only thing that is allowed is the cover over the use. That was the Machloket Rav and Shmuel. So now, Some people stated the positions of Rav and Shmuel independent of the Mishnah, which is, Rav Amar liyabesh mutar, velo lechalev. Rav basically says, the Allah is Kareb Yehuda, but he says there's an independent statement. He says, you're allowed to go out sururot in order to dry out the udder, but not in order to protect Take care of the other when there's milk in there. Irrespective of which way you're going, it is a sur. Some have it written on this, which is that izim could go out, covered up, to dry themselves out, not in order to protect the milk or the udder. Meaning like Rabbi Yehuda, that is Aloha. Who is going to check? Who's going to throw lots to know? To know when an animal is going out, how are we going to distinguish, or how people looking from the outside can be able to distinguish between which animal has these throat on to dry out the udders, and which one has it on in order to protect the milk. Since they look the same, they act the same, it's very hard for people to objectively Distinguish between them. If that's the case, we can't permit either. Because of that, since they can't see or clarify it, they're both asurim. Now, in terms of a nafkamino, the nafkamino for Rabbi Yehuda ben Betera versus Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yossi says they're both asurim, so does Rabbi Yehuda ben Betera. The nafkamino between them would be like in a city where they only tied up the animals to dry them out. Over there, Rabbi Yudam and Mateo would say, fine, that's not a problem, because his only issue is when there's confusion about why they're being covered. Rabbi Yossi believes the problem is irrespective of what you see. It's a problem if you're drying it out, you problem if they chalev. Rabbi Yudam and Mateo fundamentally believes that Rabbi Yehuda is right. He just says, practically, we can't 
do that. But if you come into a situation where you could distinguish, then it would be fine, according to Rabbi Yudim bin Te'ira, but that would not be true for Rabbi Yossi. The other thing to note is, why do Rav and Shmuel make their statements independent if they have the Mishnah? They can say, Allah HaKadistana, Allah HaKadatana. The answer in many places, in Shams, and so what Tosavah quotes over here as well, is that the Tanaim got mixed up. And in a bright it might have their opinion in the reverse or differently. So they didn't want to say Allah Rabbi Yehuda or Allah Rabbi Yossi because it depends which Tanaic work you were looking at, whether it was Rabbi Yehuda or Rabbi Yossi. So they just stated the position. Whichever Tana has that position, that's who they think the Allah is like. So then we have an Argumar. The Gerson Argumar is Amr Shmuel. Rami Law Amr Rabbi Yehuda Amr Shmuel. Allah Rabbi Yehuda Ben Metero. Shmuel says Allah is like Rabbi Yehuda Ben Metero, which isn't surprising because Shmuel before we said passing Allah is like Rabbi Yossi, who says Asur in both places. So over here, he similarly says, Allah is like Rabbi Yehuda ben Betera. Ki Ravin, Amar Rabbi Yochanan, Allah kitana kamo. So then when Ravin came with Rabbi Yochanan, Allah is like the Tanakama. Rashi reads this as Allah kitana kamo of our Mishnah. Tanakama of our Mishnah is Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Meir says, it's mutar legamre. Everything is mutar. So now you'll have three opinions. You'll have Rabbi Yochanan's opinion, which is, we pass in like Rabbi Meir, mutar. We will have Rav's opinion, which is, we pass in like Rabbi Yehuda. And what was Shmuel's opinion that we paskin like Rabbi Yossi? That's the way Rashi reads this Gemara. Tosafot has some interesting differences in the Girsa. First of all, in the Girsa over here, before it says Amar Shmuel, he has an additional statement of Amar Rav. Not just Amar Shmuel, but that Amar Rav as well. In adding in that additional statement, it says Amar Rav, Halacha Kitana Kamo. Then Amar Shmuel, Vamila Amar Rabbi Yudam Shmuel, Halacha Ki Rabbi Yudam Clear the way the Tosfah reads it, when Rav says Allah Kitanakama, he doesn't mean Tanakama of our Mishnah, he means the Tanakama of the Braita. So in the Tanakama of the Braita is equivalent to Rabbi Yehuda. So then Rav says Allah Kitanakama of the Braita, which is this equivalent of him saying Allah Kitanakama Rabbi Yehuda in the Mishnah, and that would be consistent in Rav. Shmuel says Allah Kitanakama Rabbi Yehuda in Mitera, which is equivalent to what he said before, that Allah Kitanakama Rabbi Yossi. Right, we said there is a difference between them, but in practice it will come out the same. Then you have the final statement of the Gemara, which is Kiyata Rav and Rabbi Yochan, Allah Kitana Kama, according to Tosafot, Allah Kitana Kama in the Braita. Therefore, what do you end up with? You end up with Rav and Rabbi Yochan having the same position, which is that they both believe that Allah is Kirab Yehuda, which is the equivalent of the Tanakama of the Braita. So Tosafot likes that layout much better. He says, then all the Amoraim end up being consistent in their opinions, and you have Rav in the latter half, and you have Rabbi Yochanan and Rav agreeing. And that way, Tosfat likes to lay out a lot better, and he ends up with then an easy psakalocha, which is, you have Rav and Rabbi Yochanan agreeing, Allah Rabbi Yehuda, which would make it Allah Rabbi Yehuda. Right, next is the Mishnah, Bama Ina What is an animal not allowed to go out with? First, Lo Yitzia Gamal Bimitutelet. A gamal may not go out with a mitutelet. Rashi brings down two interpretations of what the mitutelet is. So he says, Yesh mefreshim pushla shetachetz navo. Some sort of cushion or some item that goes below its tail. And Rashi says, Yesh mefreshim ardat. It is the blanket. And he says, Varacharon nira beinai. says that it makes a lot more sense that it's talking about the second explanation I give. So we're going to translate mitutelet as either a small pillow or blanket. The animal may not go out lo akud, velo ragul, we'll get to it in a second in the Gemara, means some sort of impediment to its ability to run away. So that's it may not be bound, may not have its leg tied up. Pain sharakol behemot. It's true of all animals, not just the camel. Lo yikshor gemalim Person cannot tie camels together. Vim shok and pull them along. You can see 
pictures of this all the time, when you have a caravan of camels, one tied to the next, tied to the next, because that looks like either he's going on a long trip, or he's bringing them to the shuk, that you may not do on Shabbat. What he can do is a machnis, chavalim bimshok. He can take the reins of all the camels and put them into his hand. So he can hold multiple cam- camels with multiple reins in his hand. He just can't tie one camel to the next to the next and then pull the front one. As long as he doesn't wrap it around his hand. He doesn't wrap the reins around his hand. And again, the Gemara will discuss what these issues are. Tana. Person may not go out with a mitutelet that is tied to its tail. This is one of Rashi's proofs that we're talking about on the back of the animal, not under the tail, because it's tied to the tail to support it, to keep it in place. May not go out with this mitutel, this pillow, this mardat, that is only fastened from the back. But if it's fastened both to the back by the tail, as well as on the hump of the gamal, then that is permitted, because now it won't come off. There's no question about it coming off anymore. If it's fastened on both sides, it'll stay in place. A gamal can go out with a pillow that is tied around. Well, shilyata would really refer to a placenta, but that's obviously not what it means here. It means the area where it sits down, the area of its reproductive organ. As Rashi says, because it's painful over there. Then he gives a second explanation. He says, He says, the problem is, we just said before that the mardat, whatever you put on the back of the camel, is fastened by roping it around the hump and roping it around the area of the tail. What ends up happening then is that the rope around the area of the tail of the hindquarters of the camel rubs against the camel. And when it rubs there, it causes either injury, sores, it's difficult for the camel. So what they used to do was put a mutultelet over there. They used to put a cushion or a pillow, something that went between the rope and the hind quarters of the camel. And in doing so, it prevented that type of the friction or the sores that the camel got. So that's what Rabbi Bahuna says, that they can go out with the mutultelet, that, whatever that protection is that's below the rope, they can go out because that's not going to fall out. Again, it's fastened together with whatever is on top of the gamal. And by fastening all these items on, these aren't items that fall off or come away from the animal. And so because of that, that would be permitted on Shabbat as well. Amar When we said in our Mishnah, Lo akud velo ragul, what does that mean? It says akud is a kedat yad v'regel ki yitzchak ben Avraham. Akud means that you have your hand bound to your foot, or for the animal, that means it's foreleg and it's hind leg bound together, one to one. Like the way that Yitzchak ben Abraham is bound, and that is that Yitzchak had his hands bound to his feet in order to, as Rashi says, get his neck extended. It helps to extend right behind him, and it helps to extend the neck and make it easier to do shechita. Ragul, ragul means that the leg itself, so for instance, take the foreleg, to bend the foreleg up, and tie it to itself. The reason to do either of these items is to prevent the camel from running away, from taking off. If its front leg and hind leg are bound together, it can't run. doesn't mean they have to be bound together tightly so they can't walk at all. just means that they're chained together so it can never extend the foreleg away from the hind leg. And by doing that, it can walk, but it cannot run. And the same is true with the foreleg that it ties up on itself. It leaves it with three legs, which it's able to walk with, but it obviously can't run, bound, can't take off like that. Merz has made the way. Akud, what is akud? The writer says, 
It's both hands tied to both feet. Braita, in terms of raglo or ragul, says the same thing that Rabbi Yehuda said. Probably is by akut. Rabbi Yehuda said akut is hand to leg, hand to leg, each one separately. Over here, the braita seems to indicate it's everything put together. You're tying the four legs to the hind legs all together. So hudamarki haitana. So Yehuda does not subscribe to that breita, but rather to this alternative breita, which is the Tanya. A code, akidat yad varegel, o shte yadayim shte raglayim. A code here is either the foreleg tied to the hind leg, or both forelegs to the hind legs, and ragul, again, it's loyikov yadol, gabiz rovik, short. So tie up the one leg up to itself. Mar says, vakate lo dami. What do you mean? That doesn't work perfectly either. Bishlama resha v'seifa necha. The first statement in the breita is fine. That is, akud means foreleg to hind leg. And the last, or the latter statement of the bright is also fine with ragul, which is the same way that Rabbi Yehuda explained it. Mitziyat kasha. But it still has a statement that the definition of akud is both hands, both forelegs to both hind legs. Luda marki haitan. We have a third brighta, and this is the source for Rabbi Yehuda's opinion, which is, akod is akidat yad v'regel k'yitzchak ben Abraham, gol ishlo yikov yado agav that brighta is the same definition given by Rabbi Yehuda. Akod means you tie the foreleg to the hind leg, and ragol means that you tie up the foreleg to itself, bend it, tie it up again so that it can't take off, the gamal can't run away. So none of these are permitted to be done on Shabbat. One can't tie the camels together. My timer. What's the reason? Looks like the person is going out to the party. Echinga, in general, is similar to the translation of the word mecholot. Mecholot are circles. When you dance, or dance around in circles, that's the echinga. Over here, the Gemara is referring to the shuk. That it's referring to taking it out to the marketplace because the shuk was set up in a circular fashion. So they call the shuk the echinga. Could be because it was the happening place as well. You are not allowed to move the camels in that way because that looks like a commercial way to move the camels. Looks like he's taken out to the shuk, to the marketplace, to sell them or to bring wares to the marketplace. Abel Machnis. But he's allowed to bring all the reins together in his hand. Problem here is not a problem of Shabbat, a problem of Kilaim. Kilaim Demai. What type of Kilaim are we talking about here? The problem now is that he and the camels are quote-unquote tied together. And they're working together. We know there's a restriction against putting together two species in order to have them work together. You cannot have a ox and a donkey work together to plow the fields. You cannot have them drag a agalak, a wagon together. You cannot have them do any type of pulling work together to be bound together. That is restricted. So I would think here, maybe now that he is bound up with his camels because he's grabbing onto the reins, that he and the camels are now doing some work. They're taking some load. They're moving something along. Obviously, on Shabbat, it's probably not relevant because on Shabbat itself, you're not going to be carrying any loads. You're not going to be moving anything. But it's a general position, which is that you shouldn't do this in general because the man and the camel are now working together. Mar rejects that and says that there is no such thing as kilayim by a man. That man is not considered to be an independent species or kilayim with any animal. Man and animal can work side by side and there's no question of kilayim. The only time there's kilayim is when you deal with two different animals, two different species in the animals, so then there's a problem of them working together. But you're talking about man and animal, no issue. Ela kilayim de chavalim. We're talking about that the ropes are kilayim. Meaning some of the reins are made out of flax, some of them are made out of wool. So he puts them together over his hand. 
and he wraps him around his hand, now he's in violation of Kilayim. Rashi makes a note here, it has to be, Kazavar, Denver, Shainu, Bitkavein, Asur. That this explanation has to be according to the one who says, meaning Rabbi Yehuda, that Davar Shein Mitkavein is a suar because here he's not intending to make it into Kilayim. He's not intending to use it as a malbush. just happens to be when he wraps it around his hand, it warms up his hand. But that's a Davar Shein Mitkavein. This is a Davar Shein Mitkavein. Then you have to subscribe to the one who says it's a suar in order to have this problem here. So he takes these ropes together and he wraps them around his hand. So when he wraps around his hand, now he has Kilayim, he has Pishtan and Semer together. Mar says, That if you do one stitch, or you tie one knot, not a knot, but you do the first layer of a knot, that is not considered to be Kilayim. It's only Kilayim where it's done in a way that it won't undo itself. So that means either two stitches, or like what we call today a, a double knot. It has to be able to stay in place. Mar says, Lolam Kilayim Dechavalim, Vachikamar. That our mission is missing the last word is that you shouldn't wrap it around your hand and then tie it there in place. Once you've tied it in place, then now you combine the wool and the linen together, and they're around your hand, they're warming up your hand, they're taking care of you. That's a problem of Kilayim. Shmuel adds on an additional halacha, which is that the reins may not extend out of the hand a tefach. Don't we have in the Beit Medrash of Shmuel? That you can't let it stick out to Tfachim. Now that we know from Shmuel that it's a Tefach, from his baby trash, we hear that it's two Tfachim. Shmuel is coming to Pascha and Aloha for us, which is to say that Mi'ikar Adin, you're going to have up to two Tfachim sticking out. Shmuel, the Aloha, the Maisa is Machmir. He says, if you come and ask us Aloha, how much rope can you let stick out? He's going to tell you a Tefach. Because in order to prevent the person from going close to Isur, we say a tefach is the limit. Adin, fundamentally, you're not going to be a chayav until it's two tefachim. But if you ask us how much to leave out, we're going to tell you a tefach. Vatanya, don't we have a bright, uh, karka tefach? You have to have it above the ground, a tefach. It says, That's referring to the rope between him and the camel. So this last series of items breaks away from what the Gemara said before. Gemara said before, the problem in our mission is the problem of Tilaim. Neochanami, that is the problem. The problem of wrapping around your hand is a problem of Tilaim. If you tie it as a knot, that's why you're not allowed to do that. Then the Gemara came back to the Inyane Shabbat. It talks about something that is Allah the said today, which is that when you carry the reins, you're not allowed to carry things on Shabbat. So how do I know that whether the reins is considered to be carrying or not? So that's what the Gemara says. Shmuel says, if you leave a tefach or a tefachayim extending from your hand, that means you're no longer just pulling along the animal, you're actually carrying the reins. And in carrying the reins, that's problematic on Shabbat. How do I determine whether you're carrying or not? That's aloha that we just saw, whether a tefach or tefachayim is sticking out of your hands. If that's sticking beyond your hands, that's a portion of the reins that's no longer useful in terms of your being able to move the animal along or have the animal go. And therefore, that's considered to be a masui carrying. So that's the first aloha. The first aloha is you may not leave an extension of the reins out of your hands. The second halacha is that between you and the animal, the reins have to be at least a tefach off the ground. That you can't l- allow the reins to become, or lose their tautness between you and the animal, so that they sag, it sags between you, and it's less than a tefach off the ground. Again, you have a problem, because now you're carrying the reins. Again, they're not functioning to pull the animal. And that's halacha, the maisa. If someone has an animal, a pet, a dog, and they walk the dog with a leash, one is allowed to carry the leash on Shabbat, as long as these two items are kept true. The leash has to be taut, and the leash can't extend out of your hand more than a tefach 
have it on the other side. In order that be that you're not carrying on Shabbat, but you're simply having you and the animal are interacting, but it's the leash to keep the animal in check and to have the animal move in a controlled manner. And that is permitted on Shabbat as long as you're not carrying the leash. When are you not carrying the leash? And here are the definition, as long as it doesn't sag in the middle, and as long as it doesn't extend out of your hand on the other side. Okay, next Mishnah. The chamor cannot go out with its mardad, with the blanket saddle, death, is when it's not tied on. That, we already saw, the Gemara quoted this earlier, in order to midayek out of this, that it had to be tied by Arab Shabbat. Belobzug, and now we're talking about the bell, afopishim pakuk. May not go out with a bell, even if the bell is plugged. Now we saw before, if the bell is plugged, you're allowed to go around the animal in the chatzer. Over here, we're talking about the Rishut Rabim. Even if the bell is plugged, it may not go out into the Rishut Rabim with it. Velo b'sulam shitzavaro. You can't go out with the ladder on its neck. Velo b'ritzua shibraglo. And now with the rope around its leg. Again, the Gemara will come back to both of these items, and I'll explain them when we get to them in the Gemara. Ve'inatana golim yotzim bechutim. The Yitzhak can't go out with strings, or rope around their legs. And the male rams may not go out with a little wagon that is under their tails. And the ewes may not go out. Again, the Gemara is going to come back and explain exactly what these items are. The eagle cannot go out with a gimon. And the para, the cow, can't go out with Ora Kupar, and the other gear says Orha Kipod, or Kipod, which would be porcupine, the skin of a porcupine around it. Not a string between its horns. The para of Rabbi Lazar Azari used to go out with a string between its horns, and the Chachamim were not pleased with this. And now we're going to explain all of these items. My time. What's the reason? Here, the Gemara doesn't tell you what it's talking about, but it's obviously talking about the first line in the Mishnah, which is, Why is the reason for that? Why can't you go out when it's untied? Says, Kedamran, like we said, like we said before. Now, Tosafot actually had a different girsa in our Gemara. Tosafot's girsa is much more extensive, even though earlier on, the Gemara already discussed with us that it has to be tied up. Over here, because of Rihadad the Mishnah, because of the running through the Mishnah, the Gemara over here says, my taima, Dilma, Nafiel Atiliatuye. Maybe it'll fall off its back and he'll come to carry it. And then the Gemara over here, even though the Gemara already discussed that, Rashi's Girsa doesn't have that. Rashi's Girsa is Kidamran, like we had. We already said this. We dealt with this already. That has to be tied on because if it's not tied on, it's a problem. As Rashi says over here, Rashi says the problem here is that if you tie it on an Arab Shabbat, you indicate it needs this, it needs to wear this. And therefore, it's a malbush. If you only put it on Shabbat, it's not classified as a malbush, because you should have done that already beforehand. If it didn't need it beforehand, it doesn't need it now. Whereas, Tosafot brought also an alternative explanation before, about whether it looks like you're going a long distance, you're trying to carry the mardat on the back of the donkey. There are other reasons that it can be given. Again, both of them are trying to reconcile with the Gemara before, which already told us all this information. Now, all the items in our Mishnah are a problem because Mishum Techayis The problem is that he's going to want to keep them. And if they fall off the animal, you're going to come and carry them. And that's what the Gemara just said here with the Mardat. The Mardat falls off the back of the animal. It's not tied. You're going to carry it. You're going to pick it up. You're not just going to leave it there. People don't leave their positions in the middle of a Shutter Abim when they fall off the animal. So now, You can't go out with the bell, even though it's plugged. Again, it looks like someone's going to the Shuk with the animal. 
He's making the animal look pretty, whether the bell is usually rung in order to draw attention to the animal. But that is a sign of going to the shuk, and that we will not permit you to do on Shabbat. So in terms of carrying, there's no issue here, because the bell is sewn onto the collar of the animal, onto something that is part of the animal. So we're not worried about it falling off. We're not worried about carrying over here. How do I know that? Because we already said it was mutar in the chatzer. The issue that we have here is that when you take it out to Rishut Rabim, it looks like you're going to the shuk, and that we won't permit. It's made for the cheeks. So what is it made for? If it has an injury or a wound, that it will not go and scratch it. This is what you see today on many animals. They put on a lampshade around their neck. For instance, on dogs or cats, they have a lampshade on their neck, or they had some sort of wound or surgery behind them. And what do animals naturally do? They take their paw and they scratch it. So they put this lampshade there to prevent them from being able to reach back and scratch the item. So this is a similar thing. They put on the animal, on the sides of the animal, a ladder. It looks like a ladder. Like, say, a three-rung ladder, a small three-rung ladder. And they put it along the sides of the animal. That way the animal can no longer move its face to the left or to the right. And in doing so, it cannot reach back to scratch. Animals, larger animals, they scratch by using their mouth. They bite, they chew on it, they rub their nose against it. So in order to put the sulam here, which will prevent the animal from being able to turn its head back to scratch or remove or hurt the injury that's already there. So why, what is this rope around its legs? The abdile the gizra. It's made for an animal that has some sort of bowing of their legs. And when they walk along, they rub their legs together. And because of that, they want to put something around the leg to prevent injury from the rubbing of the two legs together. So they wrap the legs in rope or some sort of a bandaged metal in order to prevent them from injuring each other or causing wounds to each other. Therefore, the ropes will rub against each other and not the leg itself. That's also not permitted. Now, as Rashi said, these are items that if they fall off the animal, you're going to pick them up. In the Mishnah before, we said if the animal had a broken leg, you're allowed to put the boards around the leg to support the broken leg. How come over there, we don't worry about you picking up the boards, and here we worry about you picking up the sulam? Rashi says, there's a difference. He says, These ladders or these ropes are more chashuv than the boards that we talked about before. They're on the broken leg. They fall off the animal, he's going to pick them up, and Bishogeg is going to carry them Bishuta Rabim. So you have to know, the interplay here is items that are chashuv enough, that if they fall off the animal, you're going to pick them up. If it's an item that a person would leave, and we saw that before, a bandage of the animal, which is dirty, falls off the animal, somebody's not going to pick that up. It's disgusting, it's dirty, it's not worth the while to pick it up, and therefore they're not going to remove it in Bishuta Rabim, we don't worry about it. Here the boards that support the Shever, according to Rashi, are cheap enough and not worth the while to go pick them up. Therefore, we don't worry about them. Even if they fall off the animal, we're not going to worry about it. Once you have something that's more, I would say, personalized or made for the animal, including this ladder, that's something that put more effort into, took more work. If it falls off the animal, someone's not going to leave that behind. If they don't leave that behind, they're going to carry it in the Rishuta Rabim. Right, then we have about the Tana Golim. They're not allowed to go out with the Chutin, with these threads on them. Why do they have these strings or threads on them? That was their marking system. That's how they tagged the animals. Still today, they still do that. They put a tag around the leg of the bird. So they can't put these strings around to identify them because they're clearly not necessary for the animal. And therefore, they're considered to be a masui. Now, what's a rutsua over here? They used to tie their legs together. Yeah, not tightly together so they couldn't walk. They would tie, tie their legs together in a way that they couldn't get extension in their legs. The reason for that is so that they can't go and break things. 
They can't use their claws to go and grab things or step on things or reach out and crack them. So that's one. And number two, so they don't run away. So they used to tie the legs in a manner that would not allow them extension between the two legs. The Zakarim can't go out with this wagon. This little wagon, they used to pull behind them. It's cute. They had a wagon that was tied to them and then they used to drag behind that supported their tail. In order that their tails will not be rubber against the ground and get ruined. So they won't rub against the ground and become serrated and ruined by that. The tails of the males of the rams were very heavy and long. They used to drag along the ground if they were not taken care of. So in, import, in, in order to prevent them from being ruined, they used to put some sort of support under the tail that the animal itself would drag behind it. A wagon, a little, you know, baby wagon that they used to pull behind themselves that supported their tail and carried their tail along that they're not allowed to wear on Shabbat. What is that? From the time that you shear them, you dip in some cotton or soft item in oil, and then you place it on its forehead, in order that it will not be cold. Just think about that. When you shear the animal, you're basically just taking away their coat. I mean, literally and figuratively. Taking away their layers that keep them warm. So animals become cold. So to prevent it from being cold afterwards, they used to put this oil-dipped cotton or soft item on their forehead. For you did it in Marukva. And some have the girsa of Rav Nachman. When the time when she comes to give birth, they take two of these cotton soft items, dip them into oil, Put one on her forehead, and one on the womb, in order to warm it up. Again, in the birthing process, they loses a lot of heat, blood, because of being involved in giving birth to the baby. Therefore, in order to warm up the female, they used to put these on its forehead and its womb. Nachman says, if that's the case, you did a Yalta. Yalta is the wife of Rav Nachman. So it's not clear here from the Gemara, but it seems to be these were the practices. That's what Rashi says, That's what they did to themselves, that they were treated like this. God, this oil or these soft items put on his head to warm himself up. And that was a special treatment that he got because he was an Ish Chashuv. And Yalta had that chashivut that she used to also put on this because she was the daughter of the Rosh Gola as well as the wife of the Avbeitin. So this is a type of avod honor that is given to these unique individuals, but it's not something that you would do for an animal. This is for humans. So that can't be the explanation here of Hanun. Now we have a different interpretation of what this is, that there is some sort of wood that tree that is on the islands, and it's called a chanun, and you bring a small splinter from it, and you put it into the nose of the animal, so in order that it will cause it to sneeze, and that will get rid of the worms in its head. Whatever it is that's in its head there, the worms, the bugs that are in its head, by putting this in, that gets rid of them. nami. So why is this only needed for the females? Don't the males also need this type of curative wood? Since the males fight, and they gore each other, they bang heads. So when they bang heads, they get rid of all the worms. Nothing survives up there anyway. And they bump their heads together, smash their heads together, so the worms don't survive. It's the females who are 
much more passive and don't do any of this head banging. They need something. They remove the worms from their head and they use this chanun wood to do that. Shimon is zira. Amar kisma de ritma. It is a splinter or a piece of wood from the ritma. We actually saw the ritma before. Rashi talked about coals from the ritma, which are very, very hot coals from this type of wood. So, Bishlamad Ravuna, Hanuktani Chanunot. Ravuna explained to us why they're called Chanunot, because they come from the Chanun tree. Ella the Rabbanon, my Chanunot. What is the Chanunot here? Davdinanu Milta, Dimirachminan Alayu. That they do something that causes us to be Mirachim on them, I meaning it takes care of them. That's what the word Chanun means over here. Chanunot, not from the description of the tree, but Chanunot from the description of what we're benefiting them, what we're doing for them. So therefore you have three opinions as to what this Chanunot in our Mishnah is. First one was that it was this soft wool, soft cotton, Items that they dipped in oil and they placed on the animal to keep it warm. That's one possibility. Then we have Ravuna as possibility that we're talking about a splinter of the Hanun tree that is used to get rid of the worms in the head of the animal, of the females. And then we have Shimon Zero who says that it comes to the wood from the Ritma, which encompasses the same thing, which it gets rid of the worms in the head of the animal. The eagle cannot go out with a gimon. My ego be gimon. What's a gimon here? How do I know that this gimon means to be bent over? Are you going to be flexible and bend over like the agmon? Agmon here is referring to the reeds. You're going to bend up, be flexible and bendable like the reeds. Agmon or gimon means to bend over. And what we have here is a training yoke. And that's what this gimon over here is. The yoke, the animal, when it gets older, it needs a yoke. It has to bend down, bear down to carry the weight. And it's a yoke. So when it's younger, what they do is they put on a training yoke to get the animal used to having its head downward in order that when it gets older, it'll be ready to pull and do the work. That's what we call this gimon here. The ego may not go out the gimon, which is a training yoke, because, again, it's not necessary on Shabbat. It's not part of its clothing, and therefore it's going to be considered a masui. Right, the next thing in the Mishnah is, velopara ba'ora kupar. A cow may not go out with... We'll call it porcupine skin on it. So what is this? The Avdila. So they used to put this around the cow's udders in order to stop the yale from coming and milking the cow or drinking from the cow's milk, from the cow's udder. Rashi claims that aluka, so it won't be captured by the aluka. Shakorin Shan Shuash. It's called the Shan Shuash. And aluka is a leech. So Rashi says it's to prevent the leeches from coming and Grabbing onto the udders of the cows. Tosafot does not like that explanation. He says, because leeches only want one thing. They want blood. They don't want milk. They don't want the udders. So it doesn't make sense. They were talking about leeches over here. So Tosafot says, It's the animal itself. It's the porcupine itself that comes to drink from the milk of the cow. It's going to nurse the cow. It's going to drink that milk. So they take porcupine skin. They put the prickles of the porcupine, and they wrap it around the udder in order to prevent it from coming to nurse from the cow. Because now there are these needles, quills of the porcupine, which are now wrapped around the udder, which are going to prevent it from coming and drinking the milk from the cow. Next is, Not with the string between its horns. According to Rav, the string between the horns is restricted no matter what. If it's for decorative purposes, it's for sure problematic. If it's for the Shamer, this is what we call extra Shmirah. Shmirah that's not necessary. It's not the normal type of Shmirah. It would be a super Shmirah to put a string between its horns. So that, according to Rabbi, is a sur no matter what you're doing it for. Ilu Shmuel, according to Shmuel, the Noya sur. 
If it's for decorative purposes, then it's asur, because he agrees, everybody agrees, if it's for decorative purposes, it's a masui, and you can't take it. The shamer mutar, which what we saw before was of the opinion that if it's a shmiri yaterta, it's not called a masui. So here, if it's done for extra protection, extra domestication, that would be permitted. Rav said that it doesn't matter whether it's decorative or whether it's for Shmira Yatera, it's a sur on Shabbat. Even Shmira Yatera is considered a Masoi. Shmuel says no, Noi, decorative, is a Masoi. Shmira Yatera, that's just extra protection. Extra protection is not considered to be a Masoi. So now Paratosha Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah went out with a string between his horns. The Chada Parahavile? He only had one cow? Famarav, Armilamar of Yudamarav, Tresar Alfe Egle. 12,000 calves. That was his miser. Not only what he owned, but that was the miser from blocks each year. So he had a tremendous amount of animals. What are you talking about? One of his cows went out with a string between his horns? So that can't be the case. Tosafot over here asks a question which he asks many places in Shas where this Gemara comes out, is that it's not clear when Rabbi Lezer ben Azariah lived. It seems to be that he lived post-Korban, because he is the Nasi. If you remember from the Gemara and Brachot, he takes over for Rabbi Gamliel, and we know that Rabbi Gamliel is the Nasi post-Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai is the Nasi at the time of the Korban, as well as a period afterwards. And we know that when Rabbi Lezer ben Azariah became the Nasi, he was 18 years old. So how old could he have been when all of this happened? Because we say in the Gemara other places that Meiser Behema was Nitbatel, was not brought after Chuban Abayit. So you assume that he was 18 when he became the Nasi, and for a number of years, Rabbi Yochanan Mezak and Rabbi Gamliel were the Nasiim before him. That means around the time of the Chuban, he was about 14 years old. So what was he taking Meiser off of? So Tosafot answers here most extensively, as opposed to other places in Shas, and he gives three different answers here, some of which he rejects in other places. The first answer he says is, he took off this Maser before the Gzairah not to give Maser Behemah anymore because of Takala. Number two is that it was an Epitropos of a Maser Bekadnuto. In Okanami, he was a minor at the time the Beit Mikdash was extant, and executor of the estate was taking off the Maser. It wasn't him himself, but it was the Maser from his possessions. Or the other possibility, which is explained by Rabbi Achanan, Mefresh of a Maser Achar Khurban. It was after the Khurban, and the Maser he was taking off was not Maser in terms of Kodesh that goes to Levi, but rather the taxation that he was taking off to pay for the taxes of the king. Tana. So now we have a Brayta that explains this, and this is an unbelievable statement and a very fundamental aloha, which is Lo Shalo Haita. It was not his cow. Ella Haita. It was his neighbor's cow. Because he did not tell the neighbor not to do this, did not stop the neighbor from acting this way. It was ascribed to him. He was held accountable or responsible for his neighbor's behavior. So it was neighbor's cow that was going out with the string, but because he could have stopped it and he didn't say anything, the Chachamim say it's the cow of Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah. Rav, Rabbi Hanina, Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Chavivu, Matnu. This is what they taught. Then it's a sidebar that the Gemara goes into. We didn't say what they're going to say. Now the Gemara adds this fact in, which is, Throughout Seder Moed, if you have this pair, these four people together, Some people take out Rabbi Yochanan and put in Rabbi Yonatan. Now, what did they say? This is what they said. This is what they were mocked. Anybody who has the ability to stop the behavior of their family members, here it seems to be direct family members, the balabai, the person who is in control of the house, the parents, who have the ability to rebuke the children, to stop them from acting a certain way, and they don't, 
They will be held accountable or responsible for the behavior of their family. Someone who is a leader in the city and does not stop the people or the citizens of the city from acting a certain way. He will be held accountable for that which was done within the city. You can't just say, I'm not doing it, I'm good. Because if you have the ability to stop others and you don't stop them, then you are held accountable, responsible for that. The whole world, obviously the whole world is an exaggeration here, the whole world means somebody like the Nasi, the king, who has the ability to influence all of Israel. If he does not rebuke them, he'll be held accountable, responsible for all of the sins of those people because he could have stopped them. The exilarchs who have that power, who have power over Klaisa, over Bnei Israel, they are going to be held accountable for the actions or behavior of Klaisa. What is meant by the Pasuk in Yeshayahu? That Hashem will come to judgment, take to task the elders and the ministers or the leaders. If the ministers did something wrong, if the leaders did something wrong, what does that have to do with the Zikinim? The Zikinim will be held accountable because they didn't stop. They were the ones who had the ability to influence the leaders of the generation to act differently and to change the course of the generation. And because they did not exert the influence, they'll be held accountable for that which the Sarim did. They didn't do anything wrong, because someone else did something wrong that they could have prevented. They are held accountable. Unbelievable statement of the Gemara. It's a tremendous principle here, that if you have the ability to stop someone, it becomes your responsibility. You're not only responsible for yourself, you're responsible for others that you can influence and that you can impact. And if you don't make a statement, if you don't take care of it, then you will be held accountable for their behavior. You can't just take this, I would call it, ivory tower approach, or this, I'm okay, and after me to the deluge, that everybody else is on their own. That's not an approach that we condone in Judaism. We are accountable for each other, we're responsible for each other. And if you have the ability, that's a very important thing, if you have the ability to influence others, then you have to exert that ability, or you have to at least try to exert that ability in order not to be held accountable for what that which they do wrong. Okay, we'll stop over here.